All right, y'all. So everyone knows that child care is essential. We're some of the most influential people out there. Yet, we are often overworked and underpaid. So how can you work full time, have hobbies, show your friends and family love, self-care, and also fine tune your skills and grow more in depth? That's where we come in. These NAPCasts are designed to help you learn on the go, hear another perspective, spark debate, (laughs) heck, even agree with us, but honestly remind you that you're not alone. We live in a complex world, so allow us to challenge your perspective. So are your headphones in? Did you turn the volume up? All right now, good. Let's get it. You know, I did, I did find, Mike, that, uh, that universally there are seven emotions that all human beings yeah. display. Well, what are they? Anger, uh-huh. fear, disgust. I have a lot of disgust. <laughs> happiness, sadness, surprise, and I think we're both feeling it right now. A little bit of contempt. Mm. All right. Well, <laughs> welcome to Madcast, everyone. Yeah. All right. We're just gonna jump into that. When you started speaking, I was like, "Wait, is this is this what we decided to go with?" <laughs> but no, you're you're right. And I feel like just in this last week, you know, I've I've experienced all of that. And I wish there was a, another eighth one: anxiety, because I'm like so anxious on how how the world is going to be in. It's really a testimony to just how we're living in a really volatile time and period in the United States and in the world. And all of those emotions, I feel like for so long, especially in COVID, they had to be suppressed, at least for me in, in, in my community. And then I turn on the TV and I see that there's a lot of emotions being expressed. As I see what's happening in the world, really my mind can't help but wonder, did they ever have the opportunity to express themselves as children? Like like the the insurrectionists? Yeah, insurrection. And what were they, you know, were they nurtured? Were they cared for? And not just this insurrection, right? But Mm. even the things that are happening in our world that aren't getting the media attention, you know, the the black trans women, uh, and I forgot her name, I believe it started with the A, who was killed in Chicago for being, oh, right. you know, black and for being trans? That's something that's not being spoken about. So I think about these people who are doing these vicious, violent acts. Were they nurtured for? Were they cared for as a child? And just what happened in their timeline, which disrupted their ability to express their emotions in in healthier ways? Yeah, yeah, I hear that. You know, I, I'm often wondering what is the root cause of something, you know, to the behavior, right? And, and you know, I always say, like, every behavior has a reason. Mm-hmm. And and emotions do, too, because they're rooted to our behaviors. You know, what happened or didn't happen for an individual to build, I think, what you're talking about uh, in a emotional literacy. And what was the catalyst for someone to start putting on layers of emotional armor? Mm. 
So welcome to NAPCAST, a NAPCAST produced by Hilltop Children's Center in Seattle, Washington, on the traditional lands of the Duwamish tribe. I'm joined by... Nick Taronis, pronouns he, him. And the newly, the new author, Nick Taronis. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can of Worms, go check that out. Um, and uh, this voice you are hearing is Mike Brown. My pronouns are he, him. I'm Senior Community Engagement Manager. And what we just kind of talked about, that emotional armor, I really like how you, how you phrase that, kind of sets the stage for what I want to talk about in this NAPCAST. And it's really around building children's emotional vocabulary. Mostly because I don't want to live in a world 10, 20, 30 years from now where I turn on the TV and I see more riots happening in the U.S. Capitol. You know, so I really want to talk about building children's emotional vocabulary and looking at ways we partner uh, with children to support them on this journey. So... Let's start off with just your view on children's emotional vocabulary. That's a mouthful right there. I'm already tired of saying it. <laughs> but I think a lot of people might have like a deficit model on emotions. Yeah. Well, and bear with me. I'm going to, I might be a little long-winded here. Hopefully mm. not too long-winded. I'm going to go, you know, like put on my little philosopher hat, as you know, I like to do. Always. But, uh, you know, human beings like naturally have a negative mindset. I think mm -hmm. you and I have talked about that uh, oh. just on a personal level. And when you think about it, it makes sense because if at a basic level, we can identify the dangers in our environment, physical environment, then we'll know how to keep ourselves safe. You know, it's a survival mechanism to yep. think in a negative way. Yep. However, though, I think if we start breaking it, breaking it down in terms of human history and evolution, then I think we start seeing more that, the more advancements that we made as a species to mm -hmm. remedy those environmental dangers, we leave our brain looking for other dangers mm -hmm. or other things to be perceived as unsafe. And I think in this context, emotions. Uh. And I think this is where we see the repressions of emotions evolve. And even more to your point, Mike, a negative framework of seeing emotions, crying as sadness, crying and sadness perceived as weaknesses. Mm being happy or someone perceiving someone else as being overly happy or bubbly as being annoying. Yeah. Right. Uh, anger as unnecessary. Um, and, and, you know, these are all very contextual for sure. Uh, but when we safeguard ourselves from certain emotions, we really deny ourselves for the growth in others, you know, to be open and comfortable in sitting with those and being okay with an uh, uncomfortable feeling. And we find our own ways to build, build up that emotional armor to protect ourselves from some emotions and not others because, you know, we're taught to see them as deficits. And that comes from culture, religion, media, upbringing, patriarchy, patriarchy, you know, it's everything. It's so, it's so multifaceted, right? Like, yeah, gender way of looking at things. Exactly. <sighs> All right, that's a lot to chew off. <laughs> and I know we've, you know, we've shared before just our, our growth around being able to lean into that vulnerability, being able to lean into that emotions and, and coming, speaking on that cultural aspect, being Afro-Caribbean, you know, uh, expression isn't something that, was, that wasn't um, nurtured or, or asked of me. It was very much one-sided, and that has, and I think about the impact that it has 
on everything from my interactions with children, my interactions with each other, and how that, how can I change that? How can I lean more into vulnerability? So to you, Nick, how about your own journey, you know, or your self-expression or that leaning into that vulnerability piece? Yeah. Well, you know, it's great because like, you know, I'm just thinking about this right now, Mike, like how awesome it is for us to be like, yeah, let's talk about our vulnerable selves, which I think is superpower, mm-hmm. especially in these th- day and age. I bet many of those white males that were storming the Capitol leaning into vulnerability would send them running for the hills. Oh, of course. And so I want to commend ourselves with our sort of emotional intelligence High to, five. to be okay <laughs> with that, you know? And, yeah. and I, and, you know, and I encourage everyone to explore their own uh, avenues of how they might find that comfortability to be vulnerable. And part of that is also just being challenged. You know, yeah, uh, sure. I, there, there are people in my life who, who challenged me and helped me realize that 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 armor, that still gate you got up, dude, you got to break that. You got to break that down. You got to break down that silo and that mentality because you're perpetuating more harm. Mm-hmm. And we both have a shared experience in football, yeah. right? Uh, did you play as a kid? Like, no, I didn't play until I was about fourteen. Okay, yeah, I was. But still, that's a very, um, you know, when you're fourteen, can be sort of a tumultuous period in a young man's life. I, I never go back as a young black man. <laughs> uh huh. You know, um, the, the all the the hormones and all the emotions that you're feeling, pressures from media, society, all of that, right? Yeah. Well, so I, you know let's kind of use, use our shared experience of football you know, at an early age. And I'm sure you might've experienced a 14 year old. Um, I was expected not to cry. You know? And I started playing when I was like six years old. Mm. And so what, that could be hard for a six, <laughs> seven, eight year old who's getting smashed by other children, yeah. you know, or being yelled at by the coaches, whether it's for a good thing or a bad thing, you're like having to code switch. I'm like, am I doing well? And why aren't you just telling me how I can improve, but yeah. you're yelling at my deficits. Exactly. And, you know, being expected to, like, suck in the tears because, well, big boys don't cry, and they especially don't cry on the gridiron. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you win the Super Bowl, then it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but being expected to compartmentalize at such a young age, I feel like, promotes a stunting in what could be a strong foundation of emotional intelligence. And, and hell, we're seeing, you know, a bigger push now in football alone about mental health and expression these emotions because right now the the largest age um or the age group uh of suicides are 18 to 32 year old men Mm. and that's like right in line with a lot of nfl players you know and college players who are suffering mental health conditions and mental health has never been something that we talk about exactly And, and then that ties into emotional literacy um and you know, oh, go ahead. And then I would even say on the flip side, because not a lot of people know this, but I did ballet before I did um, football, and there was this sense of dread and the sense of, of of being ashamed as being one of the only males in you know putting on <laughs> tap shoes, putting on you know doing jazz hands, and how I've carried that that shame and how I've suppressed those emotions. And then had the the extreme, I guess, pendulum swing uh, of going straight into football because I wanted to prove this. This is what a man looks like, and this is what toughness mm, looks like, yeah. rather than just kind of embracing that 
oh no, I kind of like being in front of people and with the glitz and the glamour um, and all that other stuff. Yeah. Well, and I got to say, you know, ballet people are like some of the strongest people ever. Absolutely. <laughs> I have an appreciation for ballet. So, uh, but you know, for myself, Mike, uh, honestly, I think the journey was like finding external avenues that reflected how I felt on the inside, mm-hmm. like positive ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just like football, not just like smashing people. Yeah. Not just trying to get a, you know, physical violence in a constructive way. Because I do think that that can have some negative impacts. Yeah. But as you know, heavy metal, punk, hardcore yeah. music, <laughs> even some gangster rap, that's always been it for me just because it's been very abrasive. It's been loud. It's been, it's heavy. Um, and I remember several, several years ago, I took my mom to a hardcore show to see one of my favorite bands when she was visiting here. Yeah. And, and get this, you know, and I, I love this. She's, I didn't know this cause I was like, all right, mom, I left the bar. I'm like, you just stay here. I'm going to, I'm going to the pit. I'm gonna go <laughs> as close to the stage as I can. And she was like, all right, you know, have fun. And so, and so when I turn around at the end of the show, there she is standing at the edge of the pit this whole time. <laughs> she like, she went and like followed me and, and at the, and at the end of it, we went and got, um, milkshakes. We went and got milkshakes <laughs> and some food. Yeah. Some burgers. And she, and we were talking about it and about the show. And she said, you know what? She calls me Nicholas. She says, you know what, Nicholas, I understand now why you listen to this music. It's like, they're saying, give us your pain, your sorrow, your anger, and we'll constructively exercise it for you. Mm. And just kind of, express it for you in this yeah. very brash way and it was like the best thing best mom thing that she ever said to me um but i in that instance i think about how we can compare that to something i know that's dear to your heart rough and tumble play right, right? big body play risky play how we have this orientation in which oh well, i don't want to do that we shouldn't do that and that's negative and that's bad and then we see the benefits where we get to experience it ourselves, mm-hmm. which is that shift to, oh, there's something positive with right. this. It's, it's uh, re- restructuring the narrative of aggression, mm-hmm. right? Like those music genres, they're aggressive. Yeah. That's not negative, right? Like rough and tumble play with kids can be aggressive and fun and joyous and uh, like really super positive. You know, before all that though, I think, the I had to take that step in that journey of vulnerability and and really just be okay with myself mm. and and you know and I think you were kind of mentioning or sort of reflecting that with the ballet instance yeah. and to recognize the barrier barriers I allowed to remain constructed throughout my early adulthood and really identify and, and later on identify where do they come from and one thing that has helped to remind myself is just simply like, Hey, you don't have to be that way. And even to Amir Gilmore, Dr. Gilmore's black boy joy, um, presentation, which I encourage everybody to look out for is, you know, what brings me joy? What authentically like Mm -hmm. makes me happy? Is it conforming to this one particular narrative? Yeah. Even though it feels like a, like I'm putting myself into a pressure cooker, like where do I want to feel liberated? Well, and really, when you do come to when you do come to the conclusion of um, what brings me joy, you're really setting yourself free. You're achieving that self liberation. Um, 
you know, and I, but I think all that is to say is like pairing a lifelong learning and parting ways with elements of myself that I didn't like and, and really just pairing those together and letting it act out and being okay with it. Um, and knowing that it is still a journey, mm-hmm. like we shouldn't have this rush to urgency to be better, quote unquote, right? Yeah. Like we, we are active participants in our own change. And, and I, I just encourage everybody to sort of see that. And I, and I, to our napcast point, I think we'll find ways of strengthening our emotional literacy. So I feel like we're talking big, right? We're talking yeah. abstractly about building children's emotional vocabulary, which starts with ourselves. So I just did a quick Google search and I pulled this from, from an article, but I really want to be able to, to make the connection between building children's emotional vocabulary and, and root that in a story. So here's the story that I just pulled. Tony is a master of rough and tumble play. As a game of superhero, superheroes commence, Tony runs headlong into other children. Two of his playmates happily reciprocate. Smiling and giggling, they continue their preschool version of slam dancing. <laughs> Mosh pit. Yeah, yeah. Tony, however, seeks out other partners as well. In particular, Eddie and Darren want no part of this. They frown as he approaches and yell, no. Children are really good at that. <laughs> Tony seems to interrupt their behavior as an invitation for more. Both Eddie and Darren, Darren starts to cry and quickly, quickly seeks out their teacher who has Tony sit quietly for two minutes while play continues. This timeout angers Tony and he pouts alone for the remainder of free play. So Nick, my question to you is, how can adults teach children new feeling words. Yeah. uh, One of the things that came to my mind when, when hearing this story and reading the story was the devil's in the details, Mm. right? Like how old is Tony? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe what he's doing is developmentally appropriate. What is Tony's family makeup? Does he have older brothers that do this to him? And so he's got some models of like, you know, Mm. what we might classify or label as, impulsive play where or horsing around where it's like i'm gonna rope you into this little brother no matter whether you like it or not Mm. and so these are the dynamics of play that he's used to and that you know that can i think that could be a very culturally relevant thing too yeah yeah looking at the broader pictures so many times you just kind of want to focus in and have this narrow view view of what's happening as an isolated incident when there's so many different contextual factors Mm -hmm. that plays into it and so I think it's you know important also when bringing it back to the emotions. Whose feelings are we prioritizing here? Mm. Is it Tony's, Eddie's, and Darren's? I mean, obviously, to me, Tony wants to bring more people into the game. He's having fun. Mm. Everything is positive in Tony's point of view, and up and you know it, he wants to bring more people into the game. And up to this point, it's been pretty fun and joyous. And before this passive aggressive timeout is given to Tony, (laughs) which I am not a proponent on timeouts. There could have been many chances for the educator and Tony together to stop 
reflect and try again. And so I'll use those three words as like sort of to break it down for this uh, emotions. So like to stop, mm. we could say something like, oh, look, Tony, Eddie and Darren don't seem like, or seem to be saying they don't want to play your game. They looked surprised when you ran at them. Mm. Should we go ask them if they want to play? In this response and stopping, I'm using the word surprise because like many emotions, there are, there are many ways to be su uh, surprised, mm -hmm. right? And I think being scared is kind of, is a sub word under that. But I think uh, something of rebuttal a lot of people will give you, mm -hmm. especially those who are big proponents of free play is, well, we don't want to stop the children from engaging or having that long extended play. What would you say to that? Well, I think this is, you know, that's true. Mm -hmm. And also we have to consider bigger uh, concepts like the consent to play, mm -hmm. right? Like you don't just get to run in and make a, a hoopla, <laughs> run amok, yeah. and, and without without figuring out someone else's parameters, right? Like, are they comfortable with this? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think just the idea of consent, when we root it in play and the consent to play, we're really teaching about just overall consent in general, mm -hmm. which has, as we know, been a troubling part of uh, American history. Yeah. And so, you know, when I, um, and, and I, I'm using this word surprised and, and, and it's also fair to point out, like we can't assume children's emotions. Mm -hmm. and, and I know we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I'm staying away from scared or frightened or sad. I, you know, because I think those do have sort of a ne negative connotation in mm -hmm. children's minds mm -hmm. uh, because no one wants to be scared or yeah. at least, you know, uh, in terms of self-preservation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm sure some of us like scary movies. Yeah. Or, but see, you that's how that nuanced out. it is. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. And you seek that out. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm, I'm offering surprised because it's a word that promotes bill um, or, or let me step back. Uh, I'm staying away from scared, frightened, and sad because I, though, because of the negative connotation that they have, and it could promote building that emotional armor, mm. right? Whereas if, if, and if Tony hears those negative labels, maybe it's possible that he'll hear that he is a person who makes people scared mm. and frightened and, and has that negative connotation associated with them. Yeah, especially if that child is black or brown. Exactly. And if this is... A behavior that is consistent mm -hmm. and they keep hearing it when well, I've said this before the way we talk to children becomes their inner voice yep so now going into the reflect part whatever the outcome is Eddie and Dar Dar uh, Darren want to play or they say no this would be a good time to simply reflect on the outcome look at Tony get down on his level oh they said no man they don't want to play this game with you that can be disappointing, mm. but it's not sad. It can be disappointing, yeah. right? Which is a new vocabulary that exactly. they've probably never heard before. Right. But we're generating it with an experience. It's like, yep. oh yeah, that was disappointing. Yeah. And, and, and then we can say, hey, but maybe somebody else wants to go play. Let's go ask Mike if he wants you to run into Yay. him or whatever. <laughs> um, or on the flip side, if, if you know, we stop and then we ask Darren and Eddie and they happen to be like, yes. Because they were so surprised that their mm. default is like, no, remember, mm -hmm. it's that yep. self-preservation. But if we clarify intentions, 
then they're going to be maybe a little bit more receptive. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you want us to play? You're not just charging at us. <laughs> and then we can celebrate that over the top. Woo, you did it. Yeah. They didn't, they do want to play. They said yes when you asked. And then that can feel so happy and joyful for you. Mm -hmm. You know, now everyone can have fun. And you're, once again, coming back to this, this idea, this, this idea of consent, right? You're mm -hmm. reinforcing it in a positive way, in a positive light that, hey, let's ask before I just go right. running into someone, which is going to pay dividends when, especially if this is a male identifying child, mm -hmm. when they're 18, when, you know, they're 20 and they're dealing with someone, you know, in, in a romantic relationship. Yeah. And then, you know, the try again part, uh, to me, trying again simply just means let Tony go. Educator, back off. Like, let him figure it out. You've given him a tool. Let's see how he uses it, hmm. maybe. Or not. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and let him figure it out for himself to a degree. You know, definitely be there to see and help keep guiding him. You know, let this happen a couple more times. And, and if it seems like it's not sinking in for Tony, then maybe it's a time to pivot away from this game. Hmm. And maybe a verbal line does need to be drawn. And just giving a very clear cons uh, line and consequence. Like, if you keep headbutting Darren and Eddie, then I will stop. I will find something else for you to do. Mm. You know, but I think that needs to happen after a few tries. Exactly. And giving the child the benefit of the doubt to figure it out. And really, you know, we're also allowing them in that moment to, for him, for Tony to, to read the emotional, facial, verbal cues mm -hmm. of the other people. And, and hopefully we've talked, you know, we've already talked with Tony about um, all the nuanced emotions that could come with, oh, yep, you're surprising them. And it, you keep surprising them and it's making them like frustrated. Maybe they're not angry at you, but they're feeling frustrated. And I like that because you're also helping and supporting them to read that nonverbal communication where, you know, a lot of times we're in, we're in meetings and then I'll shoot you a look and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So supporting, you know, children to understand that. We'll be right back. Hilltop Children's Center is a high quality preschool after school program and professional development institute of early learning and inquiry serving the Seattle community since 1971. Together, we are working with the next generation of inventors, leaders, thinkers, artists, and social activists. For more information on our professional development and community outreach, including workshops, presentations, blogs, coaching and consulting, and of course, this NAPCAST, please visit www.hilltopcc.org. All right, so why do you think this is important for them to actually recognize it before you seek to regulate it? Right. Well, I think that's the deficit of the concept of being a teacher. Mm -hmm. Like, we're supposed to have these quick fix ideas that implement a lesson on the child. And especially, you know, I think sometimes that is applicable in early childhood education as well. We're supposed to have these answers, right? Mm -hmm. And and we're we're... We're teaching them out of a behavior that is quote unquote undesirable mm. without thinking about all the implications underneath of it. And so there's so much going on in these fast paced moments. If we swoop in to regulate a behavior, we're possibly denying the internal process that someone might be having. And this is, you know, uh, executive functioning skills, right? Critical thinking skills. Right. Our, our brain, I like the, uh, the, 
the metaphor of executive functioning skills being that our brain is an air traffic controller mm-hmm. and you know and we're helping planes come in and land safely and those planes are our thoughts are our, our ideas our tasks and even our emotions and with those emotions and or with emotions as planes they come in fast and they come in ready to land, right? And I hope it's not a Boeing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and there's a difference between coming alongside the child and helping the child land some of those planes mm. versus pushing the child aside and sort of do it for them or just lead and, and, and just lead the planes to be. You know, they don't have anywhere to land. And by land, I mean like make sense of yeah. the process, the full process. And, you know, if we, if we come in and be like, hey – Look at Darren and Eddie. You're making them sad. Mm. Go take a time out. Right there, we've just hijacked the controls from the child yeah. of that internal process. And we've diminished any chance we can try to build on emotional literacy, you know, by stopping, reflecting, and trying again. And sometimes I think when we talk about co-constructing learning with children, we silo that concept to, to measurable learning outcomes, right? Like mm. in mm-hmm. play, play-based stuff or whatever, the tangible things. But I, I don't, I don't know if you have, but I haven't really heard so much being acquired. You know, thinking about co-constructing emotional learning yeah. and building emotional vocabulary together. You know, and I think part of co-constructing emotional literacy in young children means to reflect alongside them, be in their traffic controller with them. You know, guide them. You know, to peel that onion back a bit and without expectation that you're going to come to a solution that really the learning outcome is going to be, it's going to be years down the road Mm -hmm. and you might not get credit for it. And that's okay. And I think that's the the teaching deficit too, is like, we need to get to a learning outcome. That sense of urgency. That's Mm -hmm. a white supremacy organizational culture. So I, I guess going off of that, have you ever planned, I guess, special activities to teach and reinforce the, the acquisition of these emotional vocabulary? Well, I mean, you kind of, you know me pretty well. I'm not a big fan <laughs> of like planning much stuff, but, or, or trying, and, and especially trying to plan um, this kind of, these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I think for sure there are moments for it. Uh, and especially at meet little circle times or meeting times, whatever you call it at your schools. Um, but it, in reality, it happens every moment we're with one another, you mm-hmm. know? And while we're with one another, it's important for adults to be cognizant to thicken the literacy of emotions. Mm. So it looks like you're feeling jealous that they have more cars than you do. That can be a little bit of, feel a little bit unfair. I know how that feels. Instead of oh, you're sad because they have more cars. Mm. <laughs> right? so projection. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm. You don't need to cry because they have more cars. You know, I think that's very limiting. Then expanding it to like talking about jealousy and in my last year or last two years of being a toddler teacher i was doing that with with two-year-olds yeah you know and and by the end of the year they could be like i'm feeling jealous that they have more this or i'm feeling jealous that they're playing with with so-and-so but i was going to play with and another positive aspect with just how you phrased it, it goes back to what we first said about, oh, boys don't cry, especially if it's in, in relation to Tony, where 
you don't cry because you don't have this toy. Why are you restricting and putting into a box what they could or what they should feel? Right. And what their that response should be. It's mm-hmm. like, no, sometimes if somebody doesn't have something, they might want to cry a little bit about it. Mm-hmm. And like, let's not deny that process. I mean, people told me I shouldn't cry when I see the soldiers coming home and the puppies get so happy. Oh, yeah. Whew, man, I tell you, I'd be a <laughs> sad, sad individual because yeah. I love crying at those videos. Uh-huh. <laughs> And and the other the other suggestion I have again of thickening the literacy of emotions is, is reading books and when you're reading books and telling stories you know find ways to broaden those emotion words mm. you know um, there was there's this one book called Lost and Found about a little boy or a penguin shows up at the house of a little boy and the, the it turns out you know the boy interprets the penguin being sad because it's lost mm. but then it realized at the end of the story the boy realizes like oh the penguin wasn't sad it was lonely mm. it needed a buddy so you know it's like these other you know how do we thicken our own emotion uh literacy of emotions and i and i come up with i say thicken because it's i see our each individual's emotional literacy as like a, a metaphysical book right mm. and and so if what, what, how we express ourselves is drawn from that book and how we express our emotions. And so if we thicken it up, then we have so many other ways to express ourselves that can hopefully be a little bit more positive and, and maybe find ways around repressing emotions. You know, if we have different avenues and different words to express them. And I think even in that example, when you're reading the the story to the children. I don't necessarily think it needs to be teacher director in terms of you giving the vocabulary word to the kids, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes a good, oh, well, he feels sad here. What other types of emotions could he potentially feel? Yeah. And then, you know, if you're stuck like me sometimes, you're just floundering for words. And then a child might say, lonely. Oh, lonely. That's a good one. You know, what What makes you feel lonely? And then it, it can yeah. dive into such a bigger conversation. And then that gives me fuel to think of other different adjectives to define what lonely could feel like. Right. And imagine what we're doing to a young child's brain right mm. there when we're allowing them to see that there are other avenues for them to look for. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and how will that translate to other things? Yep. You know, to perspective taking, to empathy building, and 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 really like we're we're empowering the child to really be that self learner and to to really dig deeper within themselves and maybe help encourage other people to dig deeper. All right, next. So that was one story. I want to go in. Uh talk about a different story that I also found on the internet. Isn't isn't the internet great? (laughs) So here's this story that I want to talk about. Four-year-old Kelly is relatively new to preschool. See, in this story, right, it says she, but sometimes even when I'm reading books to children, I might even throw, oh, they want. Exactly. Anyways, sorry, that was a tangent. But anyways, four-year-old Kelly is relatively new to preschool. She wants to play with her new classmates, but she is too shy and frightened to approach and join in with the group. This day at free play, 
She intently watches as three other girls are absorbed in an elaborate tea party, complete with pandas and wolves. With the look, Kelly passively observes this ongoing play. Her teacher approaches and says, honey, is something wrong? Kelly shrugs her shoulders. Her teacher persists. Kelly, are you frustrated? Kelly says yes. Her teacher then reminds her of the class rule. If you feel frustrated, ask a friend or teacher for help. Kelly and her teacher quickly discusses how she might get another animal and ask her classmates if the zebra can come to the party. Whew, that was, this is going to be a lot to unpack. <laughs> but I guess my first question is, how do you work on prediction with children? So really teaching them to think about how someone might feel in a certain situation. Yeah, that's a, well, I mean, you know, it's funny, like with this, again, devil's in the details. And with this story, I'm just kind of like, to me, illustrates the whole deficit of being a teacher, right? Mm. Where this teacher was like, oh, something looks wrong with this child. Mm. I need to go in and fix it. Remember what the class rule is, Kelly. Yeah. (laughs) When you have an emotion, you got to do this. Mm -hmm. Or if it's an emotion that that is deemed negative, quote unquote, then you got to do this. Like, why not just let Kelly be? Exactly. Or when have you ever went up and said, Kelly, you look happy. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why Mm -hmm. not? Like, whoa, let me remind you of the class rule of being happy. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I think, you know, it's a balance as, as everything is. And, you know, I think also, to this story, we don't want to come in with a word that may not actually be the case. Like for Kelly, maybe she's not frustrated because hmm. you know, that, that cute idea or that shy idea. Yeah. Like I don't want about. to, because I'm just shy. Yeah, Go back to our napcast and listen to that one. Yeah. Which one? I don't know. So I guess you got to listen to all of them. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if Kelly's just sitting there with a complex feeling and the mm-hmm. teacher, and maybe it's jealousy mm-hmm. or maybe it's loneliness but the teacher came in and gave, gave a word for it. So Kelly's like, yeah, yeah I, sure, I guess I'm not? frustrated. <laughs> you know? And, but I think, you know, it could be something a little, a little more complex. You know, I might've just sat down and I think this is the, the way of like, I guess the prediction part is sitting down with the child and just play with them. And then, Oh, what were you playing? Kelly? Mm. Oh, I'm playing this. I see you looking over there. What's going on? Like, mm-hmm. you know, what are you wondering? And just there go you with go. The conversation. be in the moment with the person. Mm. Right. Whereas I think this teacher saw something for, for all good intents purposes, saw something wrong, wanted to help this child out. Caught her honey. Honey. Yeah. Right. He <laughs> came in with a label. Okay, great. We got a label to work with. Let me remind you of the rule and a way to go because this is a quote unquote teachable moment. Yeah. Right. But, but it's so structured. Right. Rigid. But I, and I think that's, again, where, where a lot of us do see the idea of teaching mm. is that there is a structure, that there is a, a rigidity, right? There's outcomes. But again, maybe those outcomes are years down the road because we spent this one moment being with one another to deepen a, a capacity of something. So how have you worked on because I assume a lot of teacher prep programs are telling you if X happens, then do Y. 
So what was it like for you, the moment where you realized you had to actually let go of some of this control? Uh, when when the child is resistant to your idea? Mm-hmm. Just <laughs> like, in general. No, like, no, no, yeah. no, that's, no, that's your answer. answer. <laughs> yeah. Like when they're just like, no, I don't want to do that. And you're like, oh, but these, these, are, these are, again, quote unquote, best practices. Mm. This is what I learned at my university. This is what I got my degree in, mm-hmm. which I'm the expert. Yeah, right. It's like, no, what I've come to learn is actually, um, and I've said this many times, humans, even children don't want to be fixed. And if they do, they, they genuinely tell you, Mm. they will ask for help in that sense. And then we can, you know, remind of the classroom rules or whatever, you know, but, but really I, I, the most, the most that I found where I was like, you know what, I got to let this go was when I was realizing that my my idea of helping and teaching them was actually a pretty top-down approach mm. rather than just a sit down and let's be together approach yeah. and just talk it out right um and, and 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 sometimes not even offering a child a solution just talking it out and then i'm like all right well you know if you need me i'm here yeah that's it hope you feel better I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm gonna go over here, drink my coffee or whatever, <laughs> or I gotta go change this diaper or whatever, you know. And you're building the resiliency in that. Yeah, and 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 I think also allowing them again, going back to the air traffic controller, allowing them to recommand the controls yeah. and figure it out for themselves. Sometimes they won't land on the tarmac. Sometimes they want to land in the water. Yeah, and that's okay. We will. We will. Then, if that happens, then we will. We will be there for you to rescue that plane out of the water. <laughs> you know. So, do you, you kind of touched upon this? Like, do X if X happens, do Y with the, with this rule? But I guess have you ever developed any classroom rules on how to manage feelings? So you know, like like in the story, it said. You know, if a child feels frustrated, then seek out help yeah. from adults. Well, you know, the and it's it's funny when I was in the classroom, um, we normally didn't even call rules rules. Mm. We called them norms mm-hmm. or um, expectations mm. or agreements. And, and and we're talking about toddlers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, <laughs> like these are like these are the expectations. And and really like for toddlers to um experience a big word like expectations or uh or emotional words that are kind of complex it has to come with an experience right we can't just like talk about what an expectation is we Mm. have to live it yep and i think that's true for a lot of people and children uh and but you know i think it always was well one of the expectations and and agreements was we'll keep each other physically safe Mm -hmm. which means like, yes, you're allowed to be angry, but you may not hit, you know, it, that's it. My job is to keep Mike safe mm-hmm. and my job is to keep you safe. My job is to keep people's bodies safe. Uh, just, and that's it. And, you know, I might even sprinkle in like your parents expect me to keep mm, you safe. There you go. Reinforcing in right. different ways. And that other, you know, again, the the literacy component of it. Um, And again, I think when we are building emotional literacy with children, it is imperative that yes, we broaden the words that we're talking about and to make sure you pair it with experiences. Mm. 
Um, it can't just be because then we're talking about the top down model. Yeah. Do this. This is what jealousy is. This is what frustration is. Blah, 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 blah. Um, is there a way that you've done that in nonverbal ways? What if your children are right? Well, I guess we've never worked. I don't, I don't know. I shouldn't speculate, but deaf or hard of hearing. But no, is I, there I haven't had that opportunity. Preverbal that where they can't. Yeah, I've had preverbal toddlers for sure, and that's really just a, you know, I mean, it's almost like I'm. I don't know if anybody knows what duck squats are, but you're kind <laughs> of walking in a duck squat all the time, mm-hmm. or at least on your knees. Or sitting down amongst a group of kids and a lot of the times it'll just be kind of a hand up and a serious look on mm. the face and just like kind of a shake of the head and you know and you can see it in a non-verbal or pre-verbal child in the sort of like their own body sort of sees up and being like oh mm. like you see it and then once you I, I've always made it a point like when you when that happens invite the child to come back to you. And so I'm like, you know, I, you know people can't see me right now, but I'm like putting <laughs> up my hand, serious face, shake of the head. And let's say it's a kid trying to hit or bite another child and they'll like seize up and have like a look of like, Oh shit, what did I, yeah. what did I just do? And I'm like, okay, the point was made. Now I can like ease up my own disposition and invite them to come in for a mm-hmm. hug. Mm-hmm. Right. And then maybe, Offer a simple couple words like no bite, like gentle touch or Mm -hmm. gentle, you know, and I might like gently touch the other kid that they were trying to bite or hit like gentle and like, let's try it together and Mm -hmm. take their hand like, oh, this is because a lot of the times, especially for toddlers, you know, we see their impulses and their intentions as very blurred and they're really just trying to connect with people. And that could be hard to see and understand if they don't have words to match. So in, especially in early childhood and it gets more advanced and more nuanced, but from toddlerhood to like five years old, what we're really trying to do is figure out these sophisticated ways of, um, uh, figuring out intention, you know, and I, in, and it starts at toddlerhood. And so, yeah, I would say the, the only <laughs> roundabout way of saying the only class, agreement that we had to manage feelings is you can feel the way you're feeling and, and, you know, we'll practice other ways of expressing it, but physical violence or, you know, a physical way of expressing it to hurt someone isn't going to be okay. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Mike. You know, the guy you spent a good 20 minutes just listening to. Nick and I love doing these. But do you know what's more fun? Doing these in person. And that's exactly what we've started to do. We've hit the road. Well, kind of, sort of. Because, you know, (laughs) COVID's still a thing. But we are now doing these workshops with organizations, being featured at conferences, and having these conversations with college students, high schoolers, and middle schoolers. And we'd love to come hang out with you next. If you want to bring us, you already know what to do. And that's drop us an email at institute at hilltopcc.org. So I think you said it just now, unless I have recency lost memory, Um, but you said every emotion has a reason. So as a teacher researcher, how do you go about investigating, like what are the underlying reasons 
of biting, of hitting, of engaging in a specific emotion. But how do you do this in a culturally responsive way? Um, well, a child's first culture is their family, mm. right? And so I think... Which is interesting because we don't necessarily frame it as that. Right. So we we frame culture as in, oh, your culture is from, is Diwali or... or is Hindu or, right. or something like that. You know, we frame it as practices. It yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, rather than, but, and I've heard you say, it, and I love it, uh, culture being the intangible mm-hmm. kind of thing. And to me, culture is, you know, your, I mean, certainly it is practices, but it's also uh, the norms within whatever. Uh, community. Bubble, bu- yeah, exactly. Something, yeah. I guess bubble comes to mind. <laughs> you know, COVID. COVID yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, when you're when you're when you're with your your family unit unit and and family being like whether that's your caretaker, your grandma, your auntie, whoever's caring for your life, uh, that to me is the you know like the family is the first culture, up. and so I think yeah, talking with the family, figuring out like oh yeah, what kind what do they play with their at home who. What, what are some ways they express themselves at home? How do you allow them to express themselves at home? You know, what are the, what are your expectations of their expressions? And, you know, and I think again, like what are the gender gender expectations that you might have? Um, I know in, I had one um, Japanese friend tell me, I think they were Japanese that he's like, yeah, I yell and, I throw tantrums at my mom or I used to all the time. And mm-hmm. like when I was at home, it was okay to do that at home for mm-hmm. boys because outside of the home, you're expected to have, you know, to carry yourself without, with sort of a rigidity and mm-hmm. without like uh, emotional outbursts. Right. So if some, if a taxi cab drop, uh, a taxi cab driver dropped you off at somewhere you didn't want to, maybe in the United States, it's okay for someone to rant and rave about mm. it. But in Japan, no, you don't do that in public. And again, I, I think this was Japan he was talking about. And, but, you know, when they got home, it was okay to unload on your family because they understand you've been keeping it together Bottom this whole up. time. Yep. <laughs> and we're here and it's basically this place of unconditional love. So, you know, I think really digging in, to, to be culturally responsive, you have to know what the culture you're dealing with mm. or that you're um, working and playing with, not dealing with, mm-hmm. um, you know, and who you're interacting with. And so I think, and then also it's, I think, uh, very important for, because this thing of teaching and learning is reciprocal. It is important for you as the educator to lay out your values of emotional expression, whatever they may be. And what that might look for might look like in the classroom, and and just having conversation with with families, you know, does that sit well with them? Is it something that they would rather not? And you know, and again, it's and we've talked about it, sort of that take it or leave it mm-hmm. principle, and um, or or maybe you know, a family who may be leaning towards like I'm gonna leave it, but they're still wanting to stick around. So how do we how do we help them? how do we help each other become uh, on the same page and like balance our expectations of one another, which and I don't want to go 
too far into this because this is going to be a whole separate <laughs> map cast. But in, in your book that you just wrote, A Can of Worms, we had a webinar the other day um, just to kind of discuss it and get to some of the tenets and the principles. And one of the questions that we were asked um, afterwards that, that people emailed us was about, well, what if you, what if the parents or the caregivers or the life givers, they don't want to talk about gender with their children or sexuality? What do you say to that? How do you, I guess, because you, you fully believe that you should be able to talk about and honor children's voices and their questions and their thoughts. So I guess, how do you balance those two? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's sitting down uh, in person or on Zoom mm. with, with the family and just, I think, being bold to ask. And that's mm. the thing is like, as educators, if we, you know, I always say educators are leaders. And if you embrace that concept, and there is um, a, an aspect of being bold that you need to embrace, mm -hmm. which leads me to say, you need to be bold and sit down with the family. And like, I understand that this is not something you want to talk about. How can I support you in, in learning more? Mm. You know, it, because a lot of the times people have, don't want to do things because they don't know how to do things. Mm. And, and, you know, it, I mean, at a very basic level, that's me in math. There <laughs> are you know, a lot of us in math. <laughs> but, and, you know, I understand that there might be a religious or cultural value um, behind not wanting to talk about these things. But also, if you're coming to a center where we are just saying we're mm -hmm. going to do this, mm -hmm. then maybe you're, you're either A, you're like, I'm just going to leave it up for the teachers, or B, you're subconsciously like, hey, maybe I might learn something out of this. Mm. And so, you know, there's there's got to be a warming up process to it. And obviously establishing a, a good rapport, a good relationship with the family. And then really, and I think that's what educators do really well, is get to know people. Mm. And then we figure out what the nuances are. Um, and and it's, it's being there with the family, uh, and, and letting them know that you're here to support them in their growth and learning. And then also if they're just like, Nope, we don't want to do it. And like, okay, but we are going to do it in mm -hmm. the classroom. And then, and again, that's that like coming down to your organizational sort of values and integrity. And then that's, I guess that's on me as a program leader to um, communicate that. Yeah. This is, this is just sort of a custom and this is what we talk about and this is what we believe in children, especially since, and, and I'm from, and I have the, the standpoint that if we don't talk about this with children, like, I don't think first graders are going to, you know, first grade teachers are going to talk about this. Fifth grade teachers are going to talk about this because they have to, they have to get their standards in. Yeah. And you know, if, if not us, then who is kind of my take. Right. And one, one, um, one thing that came to my mind while watching the insurrection was sometimes actually, maybe I should rephrase that a lot of the times the most ha harmful conversation is the one not had, mm. you know, and I think that's also, you know, we can think about that with 
a plethora of things. Uh, but I think for our Napcast right now, let's think about that in terms of the emotions mm. and how are we denying children a thickening of their own emotional literacy if we don't have the conversations or take the approach of trying to broaden uh, the emotional range, um, you know, and, and, and I guess like to wrap it up or sort of wrap it up is that, you know, if we, at the beginning, I mentioned those seven, seven universal emotions. If we know anger, fear, disgust, happiness, sadness, surprise, and contempt are something that every, all humans identify with how, how do we what are the words that you're gonna like have as be sub words to give to children like what's your what's a more nuanced word for anger mm. and fear mm -hmm. and, and that's why I, you know or for surprise and sadness you know how if you take those seven how many more will you pull out and i would encourage children or uh, teachers to like take those seven words mm. and just start building their own sort of uh, thick, literally thickening their own um, vocabulary to it and choose those words to implement in your, you know, when you're talking with children. So my last question to you is this, and it's kind of twofold. It's since we started talking about the insurrection and we talked about that um, in another NAPCAST with the mayor, how would you introduce this topic into the classroom and then how would you extend this work so whatever the, the the child is is feeling the children in your class are feeling or want to talk about how would you extend this work days over days with provocations mm. i know that's difficult <laughs> uh and, and we're thinking about the insurrection in mind yeah, let's frame with the insurrection. And if, if you have sure. a different example, then feel free. But I figure we'll try to actually tie this back to something that's happening in current day. But more mm -hmm. about like, how are we extending the emotional literacy with provocation? Yeah. Yeah. You know, one, I guess the thing that came to my mind, you know, and this might be for more, um, like four to five year olds who are really invested in things that are fair and unfair. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I, you know, taking, taking the visuals that we have from the black lives matter protest mm -hmm. and the visuals that we have from the insurrection and have children look at the, these visuals at, you know, what's the same, what's different. And then we can dive into th um, talking about, yes, both people are, are in a very general sense, both people are not getting what they want. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about the differences in that. <laughs> yeah. Like, is it black people, black and brown people, and especially black people are in this movement because things have been unfair and yes, they are angry. This group of people is angry because they didn't get the vote that they wanted or they mm -hmm. felt like something was unfair. Now let's, now let's start unpacking these different, um, baggages of anger and let's see who has the most yeah. you know <laughs> and then even going into you know that's too big pare it down to what's happening to your classroom okay we took a vote last week to go to to take a walk either to the playground or to the to the canal mm -hmm. 
you remember when half of you wanted the canal and half and only two or three of you wanted the playground that felt you know didn't feel fair to you well that's that's the insurrection right there mm-hmm. right but that doesn't mean you then go and storm the canal exactly <laughs> you know throw litter into the canal right so you can you can take these big concepts and pare it down to stuff that's if you feel that's more developmentally appropriate yeah or or relatable um there's ways to do that yeah and you know i think also one thing um uh ijuma jordan like she hi <laughs> hi again uh what the way i like the way she, she frames it of you know, stick to the facts, just stick to the factual things that are happening. Uh, and I use that. Um, and, and I took that from her when she was talking about George Floyd and how do you talk about that with children? You say George Floyd was murdered by a white cop stood on his neck and, and the cop thought he had something he didn't or whatever. Mm-hmm. And just being very, you know, factual about it and then all you need to do is now the ball's in the child's court Mm -hmm. and let them process it with you and now we're together having this conversation and we're we're having the conversation that needs to be had right we're not avoiding the one that 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 should be had and and in that aspect we're i think empowering children to co-construct their own emotional literacy and thicken it yeah, absolutely. And for those, I feel like we keep mentioning Ijima. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for those who, um, don't worry, we're not getting commission off of this, but I definitely want to throw her website out there. It's just ijumaajordan.com. Um, she has a wealth of experience and knowledge about how to bring these real, the racial realities in which we're living in, and how do we talk about this with young children? Mm-hmm. So she's she's a dear friend of ours. We got to get you on. Yeah, Girl, are you listening right now? Can you come <laughs> you on? Subscribe, right? <laughs> well, and I also got to say, she does uh, wonderful work also in explaining how play is an equity issue. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, all right. Well, another job well done. Another napcast for the books for the ages. <laughs> Well, uh, what should we talk about next? I don't know. Oh, we have all those questions from the webinar. Yeah, there you go. There were some really good ones. Oh, man, there were some tough, tough hard ones. ones. I yeah. might actually have to give you the questions ahead of time now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, y'all. All right. Work on yourselves. Take care of one another. Check in with one another. You know, read a book or two. Mm-hmm. And really work to build children's emotional vocabularies and ourselves. Yep. Let's heal, y'all. Shed that emotional armor. Take care.